senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman! Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlife podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. And this is episode 15, and I'm not even going to try to come up with a title. Title to be titled later. They tend to pop up. Scaly, scaly fist of title. Scaly fist of title. All right, there's a fucking front runner. Fine. You just want to get it out of the way. You don't want the magic to happen while we're yammering at each other. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) You're just distracted because a damn cat is crying outside the studio door. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, our contributor, Trebuchet, emailed me after the last show going, looking forward to the next Cat Fancy podcast because we opened up talking about the cat and trying to get his nails trimmed without his destroying my face. It was important to us. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a, we don't have kids because I like drinking college funds. That's just how I roll. You just like drinking. Well, yeah, <laughs> and that requires money. And when it comes to the next generation, I'm trying very hard not to remember this generation. I don't have that kind of foresight. So <laughs> there will not be a, a kid because I don't want to wind up on Reddit's Raised by Narcissists <laughs> subreddit. So, but, but we have the cat. We do. And the latest cat experiment that's right trebuchet i'm going to talk about the goddamn cat again (laughs) but uh so last week i was passed out for this but the cat puked yes and uh, yeah puked like like one seat over from you and you you didn't notice at all well that's from years of being in bars (laughs) that's kind of thing happens to me like a whole bowl food of dry food seemingly undigested yeah so on your dad's old lazy boy yeah well he has a much better one now. That's why I inherited that piece of shit. <laughs> the cat's not the first one to puke in that chair. Let's put it that way. Perhaps not even recently. but So we decided when when the cat first adopted us, came to the front door, I ran out and just got cans of food. And since then, we'd switched him to the dry shit. And so we decided, oh, well, he lost a whole meal to the lazy boy. Maybe we should investigate something that is not dry food. And my God, when you opened that can of food, it was like cracking <laughs> the seal on a handle of Jack Daniels at an AA meeting. Yep. <laughs> Cat went berserk yep. and jumped on the counter. So we've spent about three days trying to figure out, all right, we'll switch him to a wet diet since he seems to like it. And this is going to be a no-brainer. We'll just go to the local pet store. We'll get four or five different kinds. And, you know, whichever. We'll he likes. Yeah, he'll probably like all of them. So we'll just pick the cheapest and... That's... What is there not to like? I mean, he licks his own ass. <laughs> he sets the bar there. Yeah, he he licks his own ass far more than he eats out of the bowl. So yeah, we just we got everything from cheap Jack fucking fifty five cent friskies friskies to three dollar. It, it's a rabbit, and it was you know killed kindly after living Tinned free range. Rabbit in aspect. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could serve this at MasterChef, and Gordon Ramsay would goop his shorts. And and also, let's not forget, we have frozen fucking raw cat food meat 
in the freezer. Don't use that incredulous <laughs> tone with me. You specifically I know, asked. I know, because we don't have a college fund. Yeah. <laughs> no, is there something, you know, even more frou-frou and retarded to feed a stray cat that we took in than rabbit in a can? I, there... I think I think the uh, freeze-dried uh, cat MREs, possibly. Well, that's just awesome, because... Yeah, when the zombie apocalypse Cause si- <laughs> Well, no, he needs to get used to it, because since I'm not sending him to college, it's the army for that little <laughs> bastard, so get used to the MREs. So we figure, oh, with all this stuff, it's going to be great. We opened the first can this morning. The little bastard won't touch it. He won't. He won't. Um, this one was a dollar nineteen as opposed to the fifty-five cent Friskies. And he was all excited when I took it out of the pantry. He's like, oh, canned food again. He got up on the counter. He wouldn't leave me alone. And then I opened it and and put it in the bowl. And he went over and he, he nibbled at it for about three minutes. And that's the last he's eaten of it today. It's just sitting there. Room temperature cat food just sitting on the floor. <laughs> now I'm going to throw up in the lazy boy. <laughs> Jesus, God. So we're we're going to spend a goddamn week feeding this cat. You know he's only going to like the goddamn rabbit for three bucks a can. It'll either be the rabbit or the frozen raw stuff. Or we're going to discover that the cat has similar tastes to us and he's all about the 55 cent friskies. <laughs> <laughs> If he's got a similar taste to us, he'll get his nutrition out of a can. It'll be a 12-ounce can. He'll learn to eat ramen. No, yeah, God. I spent six months of my life living on 50 cents worth of ramen a fucking day, and he's going to eat $3 <laughs> cans of rabbit. I think we also have pork in there, too. There's some sort of... Well, who doesn't love bacon? <laughs> the cat will eat the bacon. Yeah. Maybe Actually, the cat won't... <laughs> he won't eat the fucking can. You'll be cooking bacon for him. <laughs> No. <laughs> no this, this bacon is for the dumb animal who tries to claw your face in the night. Here, eat this. It's bacon and taurine. Don't want you to go blind. <laughs> <laughs> I'll only go blind if I make my own booze. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. He'll get homemade food. I'll have homemade booze. We'll both be screaming blind and throwing up on the lazy boy. <laughs> and that's when I moved to California. <laughs> yeah. This is what happens when you become middle-aged with, with no... <laughs> With no kids. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, we've got a cat and comic books. No wonder the neighbors don't want to fucking talk to us. <laughs> but, so, yeah, other than... His coat seems better, I well, think. Well, that's... Maybe. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, are we marketing it? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. His, his coat seems softer and shinier. Yes, that's true. And that's because he ate the 55-cent can of... Frisky's liver, <laughs> that one he liked. Yep. The dollar ten chicken fricassee or whatever the fuck it is. It's like we duked in a fucking dish. Chicken licking dinner. That that was the title on the can. Well, it's a problem. If it was butthole licking dinner, he'd be all over it. <laughs> I don't think they sell that one. <laughs> well, all right, they're missing a sure bet, at least with this cat. But so, so yeah. It, because of this, we've been running around all morning, you know, begging for treats. So we decided to get the hell out of the house and went to see the new Godzilla flick. Yes, we did. Which I I wanted to see it. You know, I I grew up in this area, so I had access to Creature Double Feature. God knows there were six million Godzilla movies. Creature Double Feature was the local UHF channel. Yes. You know, some places have horror hosts. This was just, nope, two horror movies on after the cartoons ended on Saturday. Back to and, back on Channel 56. Yeah, and, and we all watched them. Uh, the Godzilla ones never did a hell of a lot for me. No, but that was always their opening footage 
for yeah. a creature double feature. It was Toho Studios, black and white. Yeah, now... Godzilla footage. Were you a fan of the the big monster movies? Um, honestly, I, the only the only movie from Creature Double Feature that resonates with me still that I remember watching was like Island of the Mushroom People. So I'm guessing no. <laughs> I'm guessing you had a stroke somewhere between age eight and now because that movie resonates with you. That, and it Jesus. exists as a thing in the world. I, I I'm not making this movie up. It was bunch of people stranded on an island that uh, breathe in spores from some sort of magical mushrooms, and yeah, they start to turn into That was the 1960s, wasn't it? Mushrooms. It... <laughs> the last shot is like some guy that like, they finally rescued him off the island, and he's in a prison cell somewhere, slowly devolving into a mushroom. It's, you're gonna, your job during this show is to get that up on IMDb, because <laughs> I don't believe you, and Find nobody right listening is going to believe you. <laughs> I was always more about the universal one, particularly the Wolfman. I like that stuff, okay. but but yeah, I mean, the, I was never the hugest Godzilla fan, and I recognized that for young prepubescent boys, for a lot of them, there's this fascination with you know the big dinosaurs and Godzilla because it's a power fantasy. Yeah, here it is, right here. It's called Mantango. Attack of the Mushroom People, excuse me, not Island of the Mushroom Mantango. People. Mantango, not Mandingo. That's a very Matango. different movie. Mantango. 1963. Shipwrecked survivors slowly transform into mushrooms. It's a Toho Studios movie. I'm sure it was part of the package <laughs> for Channel 56, but... It starred somebody named Akira. Um, oh, God, no wonder everything went to hell. But it existed as a thing. That's the only one that resonates with me, probably. All right, yeah. All right so, so hold that link so I can okay. put it in the show notes, because I'm looking at it, and I still don't fucking believe you. But I bet I can find it on YouTube. Don't find it. Uh, do that later, for God's sake. <laughs> but yeah, it. it I, I recognize a lot of kids who I grew up with were into dinosaurs and were into Godzilla. Cause it, there's a basic when you're a kid, if I were big fantasy, which didn't speak to me. I was always, if I had a gun. <laughs> You know, and part of that, I'm sure, is my parents didn't let me have toy guns until I was about six and they saw me in the backyard shooting my brother execution style with my <laughs> finger so they just at that point uh, yeah let him have all the toy guns so yeah we we weren't allowed to have toys that were weapons but i lived out in the sticks and you know a tree branch is just as good a rifle if you're fertile of an imagination enough yeah. honestly no. <laughs> you're fucking wrong you're dead wrong <laughs> I had a machine pistol where you pulled the trigger and it did the friction thing. I had the bolt action. I had Star Wars guns. It's that was always my thing, and not if I was big. You know, all my friends are let's play Godzilla, you roar. I'm like, and I'd shoot him in the face. Okay, this is the part where I remind you, um, I didn't really get toys as a kid. I got a single Barbie, and then my sister got all the good shit. She got the Easy Bake Oven. She got the fucking snow cup machine or snow whatever that thing is. It made slushies. Okay. <laughs> so, and, and that's I got, why... Here, have a book. <laughs> and then they wonder why I was in special gem for motor skills issues. Like, <laughs> Well, it's because you were trying to shoot with a stick. <laughs> so she I... can't dribble a basketball. No, we didn't have friggin'... <laughs> yeah, so my, my power fantasies were never around Godzilla. It was I was getting toy guns and candy cigarettes and drinking root beer. I was really planning for my future. I was reading The Art of Star Wars... Wishing that we had this as a movie in the house. Yeah, so <laughs> so Godzilla was not a huge part of of my 
childhood. I certainly saw most of the movies at one point or another. Yeah, I, I watched. I did watch the cartoon when we were kids. It was Godzilla and God- oh, and, and Godzuki. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm sure I saw that. Um, yeah, I know there was a Marvel comics. I keep meaning to pick up the. Uh, I, I never had any of the issues, uh, but I keep meaning to pick up the. Uh, what is it? Showcase volume, yeah. or actually DC does showcase. What does Marvel do? The Essentials volume. Yep. But yeah, because yeah, I, I hear Godzilla fights Doctor Doom. That's something I probably should have read I, when I was I ten years old. I think I would like old. to read that. <laughs> so, all right, next time we go to the comic store, we'll, we'll pick it up. It's fifteen bucks. That but, sounds interesting. So it'll probably be gone now that the movie's open, but very likely. So, so I'm familiar with Godzilla. I know kind of the the tropes, and one of the things that that struck me watching this new one that really bothered me a little bit was the idea and we're going to spoil the living shit out of this yeah, movie. So folks, if you didn't want to know what was going to happen with Godzilla, um, skip ahead to some other point in this podcast. Frankly, just skip the podcast. I'm not going to keep track of time codes Come or anything like week. that where we'll spoil some other fucking we'll spoil thing. something else. That's just, <laughs> that's just what we do. But um, but no, one of the things that bothered me was the concept that the, the, the bikini nuclear blast yes, or one of the nuclear blasts, yeah, yeah um, was not the cause of Godzilla, but a, an attempt to wipe him out and a, a retcon of sort of the original Toho feel of the nukes went off here and caused this horrible thing that's laying waste to Godzilla. It, it really changed the tone for me when, by saying, oh, no, it was always here. These are basically all but elder gods, except they don't hurt the mind the way yeah. Lovecraft and Roland Emmerich's <laughs> 1990-whatever version did. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it just gave it a, a whole different feel to me that oh no these were always here and yeah and that and that Godzilla is supposed to exist now as a as nature's counterbalance for when things need to to be put down he wakes up and comes out of hiding and yeah. does the hit and then goes back yeah he's he's just a see. <laughs> just a, a good old hero out there to Smacked. It. He'll be He's going. Mother Nature's thug. Yeah, he'll, he'll be going after the meth epidemic in Central Florida next. <laughs> just stomping fucking meth. If, there's, if there's radioactivity involved, yeah, that seems to. If it's, if it's radioactive and it needs to be balanced, he will puke lightning down its throat until it dies, <laughs> and then. <laughs> oh, back to puking it. until something dies, but. <laughs> but, see, I didn't even get the radiation thing out of it because it was. All these things are supposed to live off radiation. Yes. Um, so it's... I don't get the... I didn't get radiation as the problem. I mean, the... And it, yeah, see, there's just some well, weird thing to... about we we created radiation and it woke these things up, except there was one just in a mine someplace. Well, all right. Now, granted, we only watched the movie once, but... Yes. Near as I could tell, um, they... They in retrofitting this said that um, the the creature had been living very deep below the ocean after centuries living on land when the radiation on planet Earth was supposedly ten times greater. Right, I got that part. Okay, so it went further and further underground, 
and the 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 Americans blamed the Russians for waking it up with a nuke and oh, vice oh, versa. So nuclear submarines. All right, yeah. so there's a certain amount of playing with nuclear forces woke these things up. Yeah. But that's, to me, very different than it created it, and it makes it a, you know, like a Kevin Bacon degrees of separation of things man was not meant to know, well, which is also... always a very much a Godzilla theme from the beginning. Yeah, but they also hinted at, you know, there's several species of this type of large radioactive eating critter around the world, so this sort of sets it up for if this movie does well, we'll see like a giant turtle somewhere in our future. Yeah, Gadira, the three-headed monster, and I'd, I'd love Gamera. to see <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, just cross it over with uh, with Marvel Studios. You have his <laughs> Mecha Godzilla, Tony Stark going, it's Mark 96 armor. Oops. I don't... <laughs> Sorry about that. And then we'll get the Doctor Strange yeah. <laughs> crossover. <laughs> but but uh, that was one thing I, I liked about this Marvel over. Phase 7. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Oh, you just broke my mind. All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> but one of one of the things I liked about this, unlike most of the other recent giant monster movies like Cloverfield, the Roland yes. Emmerich, uh, was that feeling of Godzilla versus something. Which yes. beyond the first one, which was very much clearly a oh, you set off the bomb and destroyed Japan. It was as on the nose a metaphor as you can possibly come up with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, giant monsters fighting as opposed to just giant monsters laying waste to everything now obviously they had plenty of scenes of various cities getting their asses kicked yes and uh the director is it shane um, edwards no gareth edwards gareth edwards all right who um, has more visual effects credits to his name on imdb than he does director credits which might explain why it was such a pretty movie Oh, it was definitely, yeah, it was well shot, but one of the things I liked was he would, in an effort to keep this PG-13, to give a sense of the waste that was being laid, uh, like the scene back-to-back, we see people in an office building marveling at these things walking through the streets, cut to one of the things landing on a building and basically collapsing it, and so you got a sense of... Unlike Man of Steel, where mass destruction, we never saw anybody die. We didn't see anybody die here, but it was made very clear. Yeah, there, there was... Thousands <laughs> and thousands of people are getting wiped out by... There's an enormous loss of life. I mean, they, they would do things like... Um, you know, soldiers would kick in the door to a hotel room to check for um, you know survivors, only to come in and find that the half of the building... The, that had that particular room is now sheared off and they're looking out into devastation. Yeah, so there was a lot of visual stuff to show that there was a real impact to these things fighting each other. Yes. But also a lot of cheap tricks. Yeah, in various points, you, know, you show a child and you show an animal in danger, you're going for the lowest, you're grabbing for the balls of, look, yeah. isn't this terrible? Oh, I, yeah. It works, that's why they do it. But the problem is every time I see it, it, it pops me out of the movie. It's like, you're... Playing on my emotions. Yeah. The dog tethered to the tree as the tsunami is coming in. Oh, no, not the dog. Yeah. Uh, but then making a very quick point of, oh, he got out of the tether. He's running now. At least yeah. maybe he'll get away. But, so, I mean, yeah, there was certain uh, a certain amount of that kind of cheap manipulation there, which, uh, okay, I get what you're doing. Um, other parts, I think, were a lot more effective. 
But it was also weirdly... <laughs> All right, I'll tell you a cheap trick. Okay. That was... I don't know if it was effective or not. I'll say this was the biggest case of um, star casting bait and switch I've seen since Scream with Drew Barrymore. I go into this movie expecting friggin' Heisenberg versus Godzilla. And what do I get? I get, spoiler, Brian Cranston dead within the first half hour of the movie and fucking Steve McGarrett light, or <laughs> whoever the hell his son was, for the rest of the movie. Yeah, he was the... <laughs> Yeah, that that took me by surprise, um, it, and it took me by surprise in a way that. And Juliette Binochet and the two of them, like in, in the in the like five minutes that they were both alive together on screen, apparently have the same wig. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cranston had a hell of a piece going, but she did too. I mean, it was both. It was the same wig. Oh, it was a Shatner tastic hairpiece. Oh, <laughs> yeah. All right, that that wasn't working for anybody, and I could. You're right. I, I was expecting, particularly with the amount that uh, that Cranston is in all the trailers and the publicity that he's doing, I expected him to be much more of a major player than he was. Yeah, and instead we 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 get swapped out for the guy who apparently is going to get his dick wet a lot in Fifty Shades of Grey when that finally makes it to the big screen. Yeah, but it's, and and I could yeah, as it was happening, I could tell that they were going for a psycho style message of oh, anybody could die at any time. You, You've got a 60-story monster that pukes fire. It's pretty much on its face. Anybody yeah, could die yeah. at any time. Yeah, now I'm I'm waiting for more screen time for Ken Watanabe um, yeah. <laughs> at this point. Like, like, that's nice. You go fight things. Bring back the scientist. Yeah, the other... Uh, who played the main guy? Uh, he was the guy who was kick-ass, uh, whose name I will never remember the if I live to be a thousand. Aaron Aaron Taylor-Johnson. There it is. Okay. Um, he was kick-ass? Uh, I think he was kick-ass. He's filled out a lot. Though. That was the other thing I noticed during the <laughs> during the credits that his whole family oh, yeah. was his whole family was named Brody. So it was the Brody family <laughs> against a monster from the sea. Nice. So, but that was in fact Kickass. But yeah, we were talking just before the show. He's filled out. Yes, he he's filled out. But not only is he going to be in Fifty Shades of Grey, apparently. <laughs> He's playing. Um, yeah, he's playing. He's Quicksilver. playing Quicksilver and his wife in this movie, Elizabeth Olsen, who's playing Scarlet Witch, and they were all over each other. <laughs> and I didn't realize that it was both he's those same actors. Getting warmed he, up. It's like, oh god, <laughs> are they going the Malar route? Are they practicing? <laughs> Maybe. There's but, a reason she goes crazy, and there's M Day. <laughs> I, I guess, but I mean, gee, he's like, what drives you to bone an android? <laughs> He's Quicksilver. Would she even notice? <laughs> I woke up the next morning. I felt sticky and confused. <laughs> <laughs> and I said no more mutants because I didn't want to feel that way anymore. <laughs> oh, God, we've gone completely off the rails already. But Godzilla. <laughs> but Godzilla. <laughs> but no, to loop way back to uh, Godzilla fighting something and Godzilla as the, the balance and the hero. Yes. That was kind of weird to me, and I, I picked it up as it was watching it, and it occurred to me that's that's a very Japanese point of view for this kind of character. Oh, well, yeah. The idea of... Because particularly with the way Godzilla started, where uh, nuclear weapons went off in Japan, and this thing happened, and we're all but powerless against it. And in all the Toho sequels, where it was always somebody's attacking Japan... We need this other force to protect us from these huge things beyond our control, which I suppose is a somewhat understandable 
sociological response to we were just sitting there and then nukes went off. That's not a very American point of view. Yeah. You know, America's giant monster is King Kong. Yes. We went to the jungle and we took that motherfucker by force and we miss a, we, we underestimated him a little bit, but then we destroyed him with machine guns and he died in New York City at the base of the Empire State Building, which at the time was America's giant middle finger penis fucking <laughs> of the world. <laughs> it's American disaster movies are very much the military wins takes care of yeah. everything. And there were certainly tropes in this pointed toward more Americanized disaster movies. Like, clearly, Brian Cranston's character was Dennis Quaid. Yeah. From Independence Day. Yes. Everybody thinks he's crazy, but no, he actually saw this thing happen, and he's the only one who knows what's going on, and nobody believes him, and, you know, he's half insane because of it, and he <laughs> turns out to be right by God and gets the military involved. Um. So, I mean, there were certainly tropes of... American disaster movies, and there was military involvement. You're not going to have a Godzilla movie without tanks shooting at Godzilla. Well, there was also the the Japanese reverence for nature kind of piece there. You know, you do these things um, to destroy the Earth. Nature will always fight back and win, um, so you should respect it. You know, the sort of they went out of their way to try to make the nuclear piece have more gravitas. I mean, nukes should have a certain amount of gravitas, but... <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Having grown up in the 80s, waking up every morning going, I wasn't blown up in the night. Yeah. Um, but uh, to have, you know, Watanabe's character carrying around the stopwatch, the pocket watch that had stopped at 8.15, the day that the bombs were dropped on Hiroshima, and to point out to the military general, I carry this around, this is important to me, this thing that you're doing is is a big deal. Uh, yeah, but you know what? That fell utterly flat to me for two reasons. The first being, like we already talked about, we've already said the nukes did not cause this. It may have woken it up, and that puts a separation. No, but it wasn't about that. He was, he was bringing that up when he was trying to argue about the value of human life. And, and the other place it fell flat was the entire plan, which was frankly stupid, and I don't yes, think any yes American would think of it, <laughs> is let's set off nukes away from population centers to try to lure them, lure them away. So the whole gravitas of, remember Hiroshima? Well, that's not what we're doing here. We're well, especially since it turned out that they didn't need to set them off to lure them away. They could sniff them out like a fucking cat treat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jesus, drop, <laughs> drop the Red October off the coast of, <laughs> off the coast of Alcatraz. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> and then set off one of those mother of all bomb things, a TNT, for Christ's sake. Yeah, I mean, just it, they should have gotten it on, like, a bullet train. And <laughs> oh, we don't have those in America. Uh, There's... They, they could have done that in Japan, maybe, but <laughs> the only train we saw in America, we saw two of them. One of them got set on fire going slowly across a bridge, and the other just sort of stopped when Mothra, Subway train, yeah. Yeah. But, so yeah, that just, that didn't, it, it, it fell flat for me. It's a, I get what you're saying, but thematically you've changed this enough that it's, uh, no, we're not nuking San Francisco. That would have made more sense to me. Frank, the whole plan of, fuck it, we got to nuke San Francisco. Yeah. That's the first thing. Okay, we've, saw this, we've seen this devastate major parts of Japan and Hawaii. So it's already wiped out thousands of Americans on American soil. We're going to nuke it on the West Coast. 
it's going to fall into the ocean anyway, eventually. So why not Why not just go now? <laughs> yeah, call Lex Luthor. We could get Superman <laughs> back into it, justify the devastation, have a real estate plot all in one. I'd watch Superman versus Godzilla. That would be all right. That'd be all right. But yeah, I, we're, we're going off. I think that Godzilla would still win that one, though. <laughs> well, again, no, because he'd... He'd start spraying nuclear puke sun. and no, he'd spray <laughs> nuclear puke at two people in a corner and Superman would scream no and break his neck. That's true. So <laughs> so that wouldn't really fly, but so oh god, and the other the this is about no major major plot major thematic point, but the whole clockwork thing on the nuke Oh, yeah. Because Mothra supposedly was shooting off emps wherever it went. It farted electromagnetic pulses. So, oh, we're going to put a fuse on this. It's clockwork. And, oh, how are we going to stop it? Are you fucking kidding me? I've destroyed clockwork by dropping it in the toilet. <laughs> just push it overboard. Yeah, I'd say I, I don't understand why they didn't just drop it into the sea at that point. Yeah, I'd say a healthy infusion of salt water would stop the <laughs> fucker pretty cold. But, uh, whatever. <laughs> And, and also, it was a little bit of a, a disappointment. They spend the entire movie um, building up how Brody's supposed to be this, you know, ace bomb expert that can defuse anything, and he can't get the cover off. Can't get the cover <laughs> off of it, and has to be airlifted out of there with like seconds to spare. Yeah. <laughs> that scene in particular, he's, he's yanking at the cover with his hand. It's ah, oh, there's just not quite enough leverage. I better get the boat off of here. Gets this giant, giant fucking gaffing giant, hook. Yes, uses <laughs> it to push the boat. Don't use it to push the boat. Open the fucking cover. <laughs> just take a piss in the clockwork, and it'll stop. Well said. Good lord. It's a steampunk controller. I mean, <laughs> you could probably sneeze on it. Yeah, but. Uh, and even going further back, where you know there's six military guys, you know, decked out in full aliens armor with motion detectors. Oh, we can't get the cover off. Let's hump this thing. That's yeah. The, what forty <laughs> minutes on the clock? Let's hump it two miles through devastation and get it on a boat. You know, a boat that's not working as it is because there's amps every time these things land. Uh. And also, that makes uh, there was other things too. That the 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 train transporting it across the country was unnecessary because they demonstrated after the train went off the rails that they could airlift it. It would have gone out to San Francisco that much more quickly. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Don't even need a plane. Get a big friggin' bomber. We established that. Yeah. <laughs> that, how are we going to land troops with a high altitude bomber drop? Yeah, the <laughs> thing's a moth. They can't go to thirty thousand feet. It sounds like we're burying this movie. I enjoyed it, it until we started talking about it. It's... <laughs> I enjoyed it while I was watching it. <laughs> yeah, the, the more we're talking about it, the more it just you know, falls kind of flat. I blame the the absence of Brian Cranston. <laughs> Brian Ca- Cranston makes everything better. <laughs> Heisenberg would have said tread lightly, and Godzilla would have just sort of shuffled down the street without anything getting in his way, and... Instead, the real villain of this fucking movie was was Brody everywhere he went. <laughs> That's where Godzilla showed up. Didn't matter where he was going. It's a, all right, I'm going to land in Hawaii. Okay, a small island in the giant Pacific Ocean. Yeah, everybody's just going to show up there. Yeah. Yeah, that kid was death. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth Olsen should be very afraid. <laughs> well, they say death rides a pale horse. Thank you. I'll be here all oh. week. Oh, but and yeah, Elizabeth Olsen's entire 
purpose in that movie was to cower and have boo boo lip. <laughs> uh, yeah, and to you know moon over this this guy wherever he goes, destruction falls. Yeah, but I enjoyed it while I was watching it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, it's <laughs> in certain ways it's easier f- for us to tear up because I have no particular serious love for Godzilla. I certainly had fun watching it. You know, is it fun watching San Francisco get blown up? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure there's an entire generation of Google employees who get spit on over there at bus stations <laughs> while they wait for their Google bus. Yeah, they feel vindicated today. Good for them. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's almost like they went through a checklist of, all right, what, what cities normally get fucked up in these <laughs> disaster movies? L.A., uh, York. New York, uh, Paris... All right, we're not going to do any of those, but I'll tell you what, if we get if we do Vegas, <laughs> we can show them knocking down the replica of the Brooklyn Bridge and the fucking Eiffel Tower. Right. <laughs> we'll get a 2 for 1 on the thing. So and also I I felt like the visuals were the director or the I guess the director's excuse to have multiple disaster movie tropes like starting in um <clears throat> Japan where the the first moth like creature started to destroy the uh the the base all right so this is like an aliens kind of thing we're pulling things down and we're yeah. spitting out like this creature that's going to you know rain down destruction and then we go out to Hawaii and then we have our um god what was that movie um it, there was a tsunami i um shoot i'm blanking now but oh uh the one that leaps to mind is uh, Deep Impact. Yeah, so that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, definitely more aliens elements with, you know, oh, one of these things is laying eggs, which, frankly, yeah. the yep. only thing that reminded me of was when in Emmerich's in Madison Square Garden where the thing suddenly became Jurassic Park with 6,000 yes. <laughs> Godzilla, you know, little Godzillas running around like raptors. The minute I, I heard eggs... <laughs> The minute I heard eggs, I thought they better not fucking do that because that was terrible. The first time I saw eggs was when one of the Mothras was walking over the bridge and it's this giant sack of glowing eggs swinging back and forth. And I whispered to you, that's either an egg sack or I've seen the 6,000 testicles of Mothra. But I feel filthy. But, you know, just again, when when Las Vegas was devastated, it looked like the scenes of destruction near the end of Independence Day, like the smoking crater of civilization that was left. Yeah. And then uh, San Francisco looked like, you know, the the remains of like, you know, Battlefield L.A. and any other alien devastation movie you've ever seen ever. Yeah. And the the scene with uh, with Johnson uh, in the place with all the eggs trying to figure out how to. Yep. Destroy those that had a very end of aliens yep. feel. You know, to the point of, you know, use fire. It, <laughs> yep, use fire. You know, would have been cooler with a flamethrower, but, you know, whatever. Waiting for somebody to say, get away from her, you bitch. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, then the bitch came back, but. She did. She did. <laughs> and I still can't believe the climax of the movie was, yeah, Godzilla puking down the throat of Mothra. <laughs> Take it! <laughs> Yeah, it was like the which gets back to the Japanese sensibility for niche porn. Yeah, it's it was like <laughs> death by bukkake. Yeah, it, instead of ripping his head off, she just said, "Now you go check out of the hotel, looking like that." 
Yeah, I was expecting, all right, maybe it's going to rip the carapace face off of it, or nope, nope, puking lightning down the critter's throat. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd crawl away and die after that, too. <laughs> you know, I took all these notes about, you know, <laughs> the greater themes of stuff, and we spent about 15 minutes just sort of... Talking about Bukaki. Well, <laughs> no, just sort of crapping on the movie. Is it... Uh, I sat there and enjoyed it. it is it possible it's just not really any good? <laughs> I think we would have to watch it again. If well, only somebody was going to go see it with their workplace later this week. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, my day gig. They're they're taking us to see it in 3D, so I'll get to see it IMAX 3D. Ooh. So I'll see if there's anything I I missed on that. But yeah, I, here's one thing I liked. Okay, and it will it will. Uh, it, we really didn't start the show with the intent of burying fucking Godzilla. No. There was a lot that I liked. Yeah, but it, it's like anything else. You start kicking out the load bearing members, and the thing is not going to stand up. <laughs> I, I liked the opening credits um, where they had all the stuff they kept trying to redact, and I'm going to be looking forward to that in the DVD or Blu-ray version because you can pause. Yeah, that'll be cool. And and see what's being redacted because a lot of it happened very quickly. Yeah. So that'll be that'll be kind of cool. Uh, yeah, and the opening sequence of the the nuke where they made it clear they're blowing up Godzilla. It's like, all right, well, this is at least something different and intriguing yep. right out of the gate. But. Yeah, God, the more I think about it, you know, yep, the lone voice of reason, you know, we have to shut down the nuclear reactor for God's sake, and <laughs> no, nope, nobody will listen to him. It's capitalism at its best. No, we got to keep it running. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, the, the more we talk about it, it, it had visual spectacle, and it certainly was not as bad and loaded with stupid inside jokes, although there were inside jokes. Well, there were. I mean, you, you knew that the the big bad was going to be some form of Mothra. They didn't call it Mothra. They called it like Moto or Mutu or something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> I forget what it stood for. But yeah, something in the movie was labeled Mothra earlier, like the kid's moth project for school. Oh, yeah. A piece of tape saying moth and whatever he had taped over had yeah. RA. And, uh, you know, Monarch Industries, which was studying these giant creatures and it's logo looked very much like a moth well that's the first thing i leaned over and whispered is you know okay with that name and that logo if mothra is not in this it, it's yeah. a cheat um and then when you know young brody is standing alone in his classroom uh, the the japanese teacher has evacuated all of the other japanese students and has left the little white boy alone in the classroom yeah. <laughs> he's staring out the window well the um, japanese know if a nuke is going off you know who to blame <laughs> And there's there's a a moth that has been um, desiccated and mounted. Oh, the room was full of moths. Yeah. I oh, laughed yeah. out was... loud when I saw the moth on the TV in that room. It's like, okay, yep. here we go. <laughs> Just beat me over the head. How how are they gonna tease Gitter of the Three Headed Monster showing a Bukaki film? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, that's why the next one will be a turtle. It'll be Gamera. Oh, God. <laughs> Camera is the turtle. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. The problem is tonight. I think we should get liquored up and watch at least some of the MST3Ks and the Godzilla ones, just to right. get I more of a sense. Been meaning to find an excuse to drink a bottle of scotch. That's fine. Um, <laughs> you don't need an excuse. You need a bottle of scotch and a place. That's all we need. I have both of these things. Exactly. But so, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, and I. It's a good. All right. It's a good popcorn movie. The second you stop to think about it. You're, you're, yeah, you're going to find fault with it. It's it's like my um, feelings about Independence Day, actually. Really good. I was just going to say that. I, I walked out of Independence Day 
the first time going, wow, that was really a pretty good movie. And then I went by myself just because I had the day off the day it opened, and I went back with some friends a couple days later, and not being taken by surprise by everything, that's when the holes started to really show up. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I think Godzilla will probably be on that same level of, you know, yeah, you want to drink a case of beer and watch something fun where shit explodes. And I think probably, you know, Matthew Broderick is somewhere watching this, and since he's got industry experience, probably cutting on himself. He's probably like, mine wasn't, was, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> mine was, was just as bad as, I don't understand. Matthew Broderick <laughs> makes a dollar every time somebody plays uh, that musical, the the Mel Bro- the producers. The producers, yeah. Yeah, and and he's got all that, Access to all that sweet Sex Ferris in the City money. money. Yeah, sweet yeah. Ferris Bueller money. Ferris Bueller plays on Comedy Central <laughs> about four times a day. It's He's not cutting on himself. He's like, fuck it, I got Washington, mine. Gosh, wasn't I handsome? Yeah. So <laughs> Look when I used to be somebody. But, yeah, I mean, it's I, I really feel kind of bad now because... Yeah, I had, like I said, I've got whole things. Of, well, what you else know, did you? Like, maybe we can find something to polish. Uh, there's uh, not much, you know. The disaster tropes we kind of talked about: Godzilla as hero, and you know how that's not really an American. We talked about everything. I figured that was interesting to talk about. I think Godzilla but, was intended to be the hero as much as the the Americans. The American military wanted to put him down because he was a thing that we didn't understand. They went out of their way to show, like, when the kids were trying to get in the bus off the bridge, that he was shielding the people on the bridge from the blasts coming from the water. And there was a point where one of the cables snapped and the bridge had become unstable. His hand is very clearly holding the bridge steady, which is when the bus driver makes his second and final break for freedom. And gets the kids off the bridge. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Godzilla as protector of, in this case, I, I guess humanity in general. Yeah. You know, as opposed to Japan, is is very much on point with what I remember from all the old Toho flicks beyond, like, the first one or two, maybe. Yep. Um, whether you could get an American admiral to say, yeah, fuck it, we'll see what the giant fire-breathing monster can do before we fire off nukes. Well, he he does come around because he says to Watanabe at the end, um, you know, do you think your your alpha monster can take it or take them? And at that point, he sort of resigned himself to the the nuke has to be gotten out of the city, so it's going to have to come down to Godzilla. Yeah. All right. Let's let's leave on that positive. The positive of my expectation when we saw David Strathairn, <laughs> you know, firing off orders and my expectation was okay he will be the military guy who will advocate the use of nuclear force under any circumstances he's going to be the carter burke yep no matter what it takes for me to get what i want and use military force i will do and eventually and that is not what he was at all he was willing to listen to reason he was willing to listen to other ideas his plan was to use nuclear weapons but it wasn't fuck it let's nuke san francisco yeah um so that's, we'll, we'll call that a positive of something unexpected. Did the plot demand that in order to have Godzilla be the only hope of San Francisco after a while? Yeah, it did, but it would have been very easy to you know, have him just be a gibbering madman ready to set off nukes and have Brody have to punch him in the face to disarm yeah. the bomb. <laughs> yeah. So, 
All right. So that was a definite positive. It was a definite positive. So we'll we'll leave it with that. Again, I had fun watching it. You want to watch stuff explode and you know buildings get kicked over? Yeah, it's definitely worth a matinee price. Yeah, I, we can't address how awesome and or bad it is in 3D IMAX. You know, maybe I'll make a quick note on next week's show because I will have seen it. But yeah, because we saw it in straight out 2D, the early show. We don't really care very much about 3D. No, no, no. <laughs> Sorry, I I get distracted because I was there's there's a little kid in the movie that Brody saves on the train and eventually gets back to his parents, and I feel like. That kid is is supposed to be a nod to something from some other movie, and I can't find the image. Is he perhaps a nod to the two weird Japanese twins who live in a clam? I vaguely remember that from one of the Godzilla movies. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Or that could have been from me drinking and throwing up in the Lazy Boy. I don't know. The little girl, though, that, that notices that we're about to have a tsunami in Hawaii, I'm pretty sure was designed to look like Newt. Well, that's a possibility. They're... There's a resemblance, but one little blonde kid looks the pretty much. Blonde kid. <laughs> yeah, it looks pretty much the same as any other, as far as I can tell. So, all right. So moving on. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> fun to watch. Fun, fun to watch. Just but, don't think about it. Yeah, and definitely don't talk to anybody about it afterwards because <laughs> you'll wind up saying stuff like, you know, just drop the thing in a toilet and it'll stop working and you'll save the world. But. There's 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 a bukkake joke in there somewhere that I'm not going oh, to make. <laughs> we've already made it. It's too fucking late. Can't put that back. <laughs> so, so the other thing that is, you know, other news from this week that is only tangential, tangentially is that a word? Okay. Tangential. Yeah. Okay. Sorta related. We'll go with sorta. <laughs> uh, and I only bring that up because when Godzilla uh, IDW series first came out for the first issue, they were offering particular comic stores customized covers yes showing godzilla stomping on their store and uh <laughs> and our local comic store where they know me by name and ask you to not stomp on things uh, yeah but uh <laughs> theirs uh showed their sister store from worcester getting destroyed um just wanted to touch a little bit on weird ass fucking variant covers because one of the things that came out this week, we already knew that in September, uh, DC is going to redo what they did with Villain, Villains Month last year. Ooh, with, 3D uh, covers. Yeah, with their five years later thing that shows where all the characters are in five years with their 3D lenticular covers, um, which purely by coincidence, I'm sure, jacks up the price of the book by a buck. Yep. Now, we, we know that because we got mostly the 2D covers, but we'll get to that in a minute. Lenticular, an unnecessarily large word meaning 3D. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, for... For an extra buck per issue at 100,000 issues, you use a 50-cent <laughs> word now and again. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, they, they announced that the Death of Wolverine series that's coming out at about the same time is going to have, and I'm quoting this just because it's so fucking stupid, weapon-etched hollow foil covers. We wait, wait. I'm sorry. Did you say weapon-etched? Weapon-etched hollow foil covers. Bring me the head of Axel Alonso. Uh, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I, I get why they did it. Now who got high at the Marvel retreat and said, no, 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 wait, guys, guys, guys. Weapon etched. That would be everybody. <laughs> Any one of them could have said it while the others went, oh. Guys, guys, I got it. <laughs> yeah, you got something. 
etched with it's not what, herpes this time. Weapon etched. I like to picture yeah some some poor printer with <laughs> with like some half length samurai sword just doing one cover at a time, grinding his teeth and whimpering. Samurai sword, please. They gave him a box cutter. Yeah, but weapon etched. They should, they should just put each each copy on a target, and just blast it with a forty four magnum. Just a plain white cover with a bullet hole through it. It's itched, all right. Yeah, but and what the fuck is a hollow foil? Um, hollow like holographic foil. Like I know that... what hollow means, and I know what foil means. Okay, as but... opposed to like hollow, like there's a space between its bones. Hollow, like uh, okay, yes, H O L O. All right, yes, this is radio. I forgot, <laughs> but but so it doesn't. It doesn't fucking mean anything. So I put sparkly foil on the cover, and then they scratched it. Here, please pay us an extra dollar. Yeah, I, I suppose, but see, the variant covers, all this stuff has been. It's the last. It feels like the last five or six years. I mean, maybe it's maybe it'll have a special chip in it, and and um. Wolverine will pop up from the hollow foil and and tell me uh, that I'm his only hope to <laughs> save the princess. I I don't know. <laughs> that would I, be cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to picture Princess Leia just <laughs> shoving copies of Death of Wolverine into R two D two, like some weird shredder. Techno- <laughs> yeah, like a. <laughs> now, now we don't know the quality of the book yet. I think we do. Yeah. Now, well, all right, yeah, we talked about that a week or so we ago. Did, we did, we did. Just the the whole variant cover thing coming back, because we're, we're old enough, we lived through the early 90s, and the, the worst just wave of weird-ass covers, the worst offender was Todd McFarlane's yep. Spider-Man 1, which sold like 7 million fucking copies because it had like 4 million different covers, the yep. standard cover and chromium cover and gold chromium cover and polybag gold. You know, there were people lining up at the comic store, you know, just savaging each other for these fucking things. Because they thought it was going to be somebody's college fund that could be drank away in their later years. Yeah, well, I wound up selling my just standard copy of it in college for like five bucks because I needed beer money. I yeah. mean, that's ultimately what it was worth, and at least I got in before the bottom fell out. I think at this point you can get Spider-Man 1 for anything but the rarest of the rare variant covers for cover price in a quarter bin, which yeah. is good because that comic fucking sucked. <laughs> it was awful. It's, it, reading it, I'm like, all right, I paid for it, but Todd McFarlane shouldn't be allowed to write anything longer than his name. <laughs> and even then, that's a pretty long name. Should maybe he should editor and supervision. Yeah, and... maybe he should put a contraction or something, because that's a lot of letters, <laughs> and I don't trust him with that many. But, I mean, it was just, it was the worst kind of trick, and the bottom fell out of comics. Marvel was bankrupt by the end of the 90s. Yep. DC wasn't doing much better. They were basically being supported by Warner Brothers. And... It was. It wasn't until the early two thousands where nobody had anything to lose. So let's hire just some great writers and make a writer based uh, set of stories again. Things really started to bounce back, but within four or five years, there started being these variant covers again. And is there anybody who cares about them? I, I think some people must. I mean, there was that whole brouhaha um, a year or so back when uh, Michael Allen Nelson 
decided that he was going to have an ultra rare variant of some comic or another he was writing and he decided that he was going to light the variant covers on fire or something like that. Oh, yeah. Burning books is never a good publicity <laughs> stunt. As, as I recall, I wrote about it. It's somewhere on the site. I honestly don't even remember the name of the of the, the book at this point, which is... Bale and the Outcast, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. But yeah, that's how, how good of a publicity stunt it was. I don't even remember the name of the book anymore. Yeah, so... I do remember that, uh, and there was... And that somebody who had a... And somebody came back obsessively clicking on that to see if there was going to be a comment thread they could jump in on. <laughs> yeah. We don't know that that was him. No, but, I don't know who that was. But, so, yeah, thank God nobody reads or comments <laughs> on our website. But, but uh, and, and the whole thing with Justice League of America with 50 different copies, one for each state flag. Yep. I think we have Alaska. Because I grabbed, <laughs> what, I grabbed whatever he put in with our polls. Because which was Alaska. Yeah, because I've mentioned this before about the owner of our like local comic store. He has a very broad idea of what you want polled. If I yes. say Avengers, I've gotten every Avengers book that's been published for the last eight years. Yeah. Same thing with Justice League. Ever yep. since Justice Wolverine, League of America, like all of the Wolverines ever. Yeah. So I got whatever he threw in. So, but it's it just. I recognize it has an effect. There are people who are really into variant covers. I recognize that it has to have a certain sales effect. At a certain point, there's got to be fatigue on it. I think some of it's sales incentives to the store. You'll get this rarer one in that will, in theory, be worth more money if you push X number of copies of the standard one. Uh, Yeah, and there are a lot of them that are based on that, and that's... It at least feels like that's half away the bottom fell out of comics to begin with. Yeah. You know, that carried a certain amount of weight during the speculator age where you knew people would be coming in. And since there was such a mania for it, you could probably get away with saying, yeah, I'll sell that for you. But you need to buy 15 copies or something. Right. Right. Yeah. That nobody's going to nobody's going to go for that anymore (laughs) if they ever did. Yeah. So. Yeah. And. Even with the weird covers, when DC did their Villains Month last year, and we saw on some of the comic sites that there were real problems with the printing process, they weren't necessarily going to have as many of the 3D covers as they hoped for. I contacted our local store and said, you know, look. Don't even worry about it. Just give us the normal ones. Yeah, (laughs) we don't give a shit. If you don't have enough, give us 2D covers. And his initial response was, oh, no, we're going to have plenty. Don't worry about it. I think we got about three yeah. non-three. Because I told him, give me everything for Villains Month, you know, in case we wanted to do reviews, and frankly, most of them were not worth reviewing. They were not. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, so he gave us mostly the, the 2D, much to the glee of you know, at least one of the regulars who you know is there on Wednesdays with us. Yeah. You know, he was I've got to get all the 3D. So clearly it, it matters to him, <laughs> but that, I don't know, it just it feels like short-sighted you know, well, and also, you know, okay, it's going to, if you're a collector, it's going to end up slapped in a bag. It's not like you're putting it up on the wall as art. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, unless you're getting stoned later and going through your long boxes and pulling them out, going, ooh, if I put my head like this. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the best they can hope for, and I've only ever done this with one or two books. The Joker's eyes are I've, following me. Well, <laughs> you know, enough Jack Daniels, I feel like that. But shit, there's three Jokers, and they're all following me. But. <laughs> I think there's only been one or two books I've done this with where it's 
and it was probably toward the speculator age where, okay, these will be worth something, so I'm going to buy two. One I can read and one I can just bag and board. Yep. But, you know, and I'm as rabid a collector and hoarder of these things. I just brought my 24th long box over to storage, and there's at least 22 still in the house. Yeah. That I still need to go through and catalog and figure out if I, I want to keep them here or at least twenty two and and several other piles yeah. of bags that need to find their yeah. way into a box. Plenty. So if there's somebody who might fall to this, it would probably be me. But even I don't buy it. Yeah, I mean there there are some variant covers out there that are still worth something. Well, I mean, and that's the other thing is I'm cataloging all these books. I've got stuff that goes back to the the mid eighties. So far, I haven't come across you know, any of the real old ones from when I was a kid, except for one or two of them. Most of those my mom threw out. <laughs> but, but it, you know, as I go through, I'll get a charge out of, because particularly as I'm getting to the older ones, I'm looking at a comics price guide going, all right, is this worth hanging on to, keeping it in the house where I know I've got control over it? Yep. And every once in a while, it's like, oh, I, whatever I grabbed off the shelf, this is a variant cover. Oh, it's worth like 10 bucks more. That's kind of cool. It's happened like twice. Mm-hmm. So I can sort of see, uh, I don't know, it's, you know I, I brought it up because it struck me, oh, Jesus, hollow foil and weapon etched sound like <laughs> exactly the kind of empty hype from the early 90s I remember seeing. It just it, Designed to appeal to 12-year-old boys who can't afford to buy the comic book anyway. Yeah, these days they can't, but, so yeah, it's just something that's always bugged me and i'm sure it bugs plenty of people and we're not breaking any new ground here but fuck it it's our show if i want to bitch about something variant covers don't do it exactly <laughs> all right so why don't we talk about some actual comics yes let's do that all right what would, would you like to talk about first no you go you want me to go okay um <clears throat> let's start with batgirl 31 Okay, so this is uh, Gail Simone, and who did the art on it? Fernando Passarin. Yep. And speaking of covers, this is an excellent cover. This is, uh, I don't know if Passarin did the cover. Let me see who did the cover. Uh, cover is, oh, wait, this is one that has variant covers. We don't have one, though. Oh, God. <laughs> um, Alex Garner is the cover artist. Um, there is a Batman Batman 66-themed variant by Mike and Laura Allred. <laughs> we don't have that one. Yeah. We have uh the normal one and it's it's very dynamic art. It appears to be painted. Um we've got nice detail work on Barbara's uh boots. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just noticing this now. It's a very obvious tread on the bottom and she's got the sort of pointy knee guard things and Ragdoll is trying to kill her. <laughs> it's everything a good comic book needs. Yes. Ladies' footwear and murder. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but uh, I, I enjoyed this book. It, uh, I, I think, this was it had the interesting twist of Barbara finding out that her boyfriend or possibly ex-boyfriend eventually is gonna sue her dad for shooting him unprovoked, um, which is interesting considering what's happening to. Gordon don't, right now. Don't mind me. I'm just writing down Ladies Footwear and Murder because that's the title of this episode. I still like the scaly fist of whatever, but... <laughs> that's personal information and it makes me sad about me. <laughs> scaly fist of Bukaki. Um, oh, Jesus. <laughs> anyway. Uh, um, yeah, Simone has always uh, done a, a good job on uh, Barbara's personal life and you know, integrating her non- 
Batman family relationships and you know, almost in a Spider-Man-ish, you yeah. know, okay, this is in the way, it's affecting me, you know, oh, I feel great because this is happening, it's terrible that this other thing is happening, so, yeah, I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, and um, it was nice to see Ragdoll again, um, who she last wrote as part of the uh, Secret Six. Yeah, God, I miss Secret Six. And, you know, she continues to do a really great job with his his persona and his creepy dialogue and his flappy body. Flappy yet Iron Lake body. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and I know that you were a fan of the character going back to Starman. Yeah, I mean, he was Starman's nemesis um, and has sort of traversed from there into mostly Secret Six. So, so yeah, I've always liked the character. It's nice to see him repurposed. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see Secret Six come back with Suicide Squad kind of, you know, petering out. Yes. Yeah, I'd like to see... That, Bring you, back Catman. Yeah, I mean, how you do that in the new Fifty Two? I'm not sure. We've had a reintroduction of Catman. Um, you know, some of the other characters. I'm not sure they're all there, but that was a really fun book. It had a take on Bane yeah. that you don't see, you haven't seen anywhere else. Gave him a real sense of honor. Yeah. You know, now that um, we've slapped him in the Dark Knight coat and he's half taken over Gotham, while Batman was missing in in a forever evil you know how you could bring him back well with... you know if we're shooting five years into the future now with the the yeah but it's just a glimpse but we may see them at that point <laughs> yeah that's true i suppose that's possible yeah if if because at that point if the suicide squad has you know truly petered out then we might be moving on to reforming uh groups that had been in place before the crisis that led to the new 52 yeah that makes sense perhaps but it's it's a good story it's a tight story um and what's nice about this one is you don't really necessarily have to have been reading Batgirl right along to get this you can kind of drop in feel sort of like a tight one and done even if there's ongoing stuff that comes out of this yeah again sort of in the old bronze age spider-man-ish you know there's relationship stuff that carries over and clearly there's some overall higher level villain that's involved but yeah, it's a one-shot for this particular villain, one story. Certain elements will continue, but, yeah, you can read it completely on its own. And, and I like the ending of it, how Ragdoll yeah. dealt with <laughs> dealt with certain uh, people who were involved in putting them on the case. They were being mean to monkeys. Exactly. And that, that, that did not sit well with him. Although yeah. it's funny because then right after that they have a, a preview of Superman 32 where Superman's being uh, mean to a gorilla. Well, robotic it's, gorilla. It's comics. He's being mean to a monkey. Yeah, but what are you going to tell Superman? Stop. Uh, I'm not. Superman wants to punch the monkey. You let him <laughs> punch the monkey. Is that a euphemism? It is now. <laughs> <laughs> I've just decided. I also like uh, Ragdoll's use of the term "happy ending" in this comic <laughs> book. <laughs> that is not how I would use it. But <laughs> what else do you want to talk about? Um. Well, it's it, I generally likes me some Brian Michael Bendis, so we had the uh, the first issue of his United latest States of yep, Murder Incorporated. Yep, his latest creator-owned series with a uh, Michael Avon Oming on art. Uh, so it's the creative team from Powers, and which means we'll see this book like what twice a year. Yeah, well, we'll we'll get to that. In a, <laughs> no, we'll we'll get to that now. Um, <laughs> I, I have always generally liked Bendis's creator-owned stuff. Um, there's a 
particular title he does for just kids that doesn't really grab me about a, a Tycho or something about a pair of superhero twins. Yeah. At, but I'm not the primary audience for that, right. so that's fine. Uh, Powers I've loved from the beginning. Uh, Scarlet has been really good. Uh, brilliant. Not bad. Um, and clearly his heart is in creator-owned comics. That's where he came from, back to Jinx and Goldfish. Right. The problem is he's got so much on his plate at any given time. These creator-owned things come out in dribs and drabs. The fact we've gotten like eight or nine issues of Powers Bureau in the last year is baffling to me. Yeah. But while that's been happening, we haven't had an issue of Scarlet in maybe three or four years. Yeah. Uh, it's it's almost like he a person should wait. You know, he announces it. Wait three years, see if there's a trade. <laughs> yeah. And so it's it's hard to get into these creator-owned projects because they'll go up to a point and stop, and maybe you'll see them again. Right. Maybe you won't. So yeah, this particular one, yeah, look, it's it's a mob story writ large. The mm-hmm. greater concept is something happened at some point to have the old-school Italian mafia assume total control of the East Coast of the United States – and now you're just born into power. You know, based on your bloodline, you become a made guy. And they negotiate directly with the government. All of this is very much in the background. Supposedly it's been going on for at least two generations. And it will be revealed over time. Again, that's what makes me a little nervous. Because, okay, if it's issue six, we might find out when I'm on my deathbed <laughs> in issue seven. But... um. And yeah, the the overall theory is there is this one guy who was born into it and has become a made guy and discovers that actually his mother is a federal agent and is telling him, no, you were born to be a federal agent and your purpose in life, even though we've never told you, <laughs> is Surprise! yeah to take down to Donnie Brasco, the mob from the inside. Um, and at the end of the issue, they say, we'll give you some background as to who you are and who your family is. Um, yeah, I mean... it. I'm a sucker for a mob, mob story. story yeah. yeah, same as any other dude. You know, I see The Godfather two or three times a year. If I'm flipping past it and it's on you know, AMC, I stop. Mm-hmm. Normally, I stop and turn on the Blu-ray player and watch it all the way through without commercials. But it'll be interesting to compare this to Lazarus um, as it goes on, since that's sort of a similar kind of families. Actually, yeah, that's story. Greg Rucka, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you've been following that pretty closely. I've been waiting on the trades. So. And that one comes out regularly. That's true. <laughs> Rucker can be a machine. but um, So, yeah, I mean, the greater concept of this thing happened to make the mafia just out front and in control of a major part of America, that's interesting. The idea of somebody in deep cover under that, if that's the way. Born into deep cover. <laughs> yeah, well... I'm, it raises interesting questions for the character. You know, will he double agent? Will he triple agent? You know, he just found this out. How's yeah. he going to react to it? Th- there's a lot of interesting stuff here. It's a good introduction for, yeah, look, if you're a mob story, this is what if the mob got everything they ever fucking wanted, mm-hmm. you know? And even from the, you know, uh, the departed and Donnie Brasco side of law enforcement trying to get into the mob, there's, there's a lot here for anybody of any particular part of the genre so i really enjoyed it except for fucking bendis i don't know how he writes his scripts there were at least three or four places in here where he'll do double page layouts that you're intended to read 
from left to right across both pages. Yeah, across the spine of the book. No indication at, until you read until you read it normal and you go down the one page and you wait. What did I miss? Oh, all right, I was supposed to go across, but then that doesn't repeat necessarily on the next page. Well. I'll try to be fair on this because I reread the book just before we started the show. And a lot of those spreads do have panels that go all the way across. The problem is, and this is not Oming's fault because this happens with a lot of the artists that Bendis gives these scripts to. Yep. It takes real serious visual cues. You know, characters on either side of the spine talking to each other is a good one or a dynamic battle sequence that clearly goes across the spine is a good one to show not just it's one panel, but to really show the reader, this is how you read it. Yeah. And that's something that's really missing here. I've seen a lot of these double page layouts that, you know, particularly in early, uh, all new ultimate Spider-Man with miles Morales, where there's no real indication that it's going across the top of the page. At least Oming has most of the time, a panel that goes all the way across the top. So if you recognize that these kind of layouts are coming, you can kind of pay attention and at least get a sense. You you can start to get a sense of it, but... But the other problem is there were so many of them, and then you get to a standard standard layout of one page versus opposite page. I had gotten used to reading it that way. That was my point. And then you start reading across and it doesn't make sense again. It's... I don't know... Just be consistent. Yeah, I... I, (laughs) I understand the widescreening of comics, but for a standard, it's just a bunch of panels layout. It's not necessary if it's a huge battle sequence where you really need the real estate. Yeah, like the splash page where he's coming into the the celebration after he gets made. That makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, for for just dudes talking... And if there's anybody who writes dudes, dudes fucking talking, talking it's yeah, Brian Michael You don't Michael need widescreen for dudes talking. Yeah, it's, it just it makes a lot of his books unnecessarily hard to read. Yeah, and it's I, I will beat this drum until I'm bloody or somebody listens to me. But it's just it's it can be a well written scene, but if I have to figure out how to read it, it's not my fucking fault. I've been reading these books since I was five years old. I know, and it's I. I have to wonder if some of it is, well, a lot of this is going to be um, read in a digital format, so they'll be on Comixology and they'll have the thing that'll go from panel to panel. Well, I don't, I, sh- I shouldn't have to rely on the app to take me to where I'm supposed to go next. Your layout should be clear enough that I can follow it without the app telling me what panel to read next. Yeah, and I mean, if that's the case on a screen that you're probably looking at in a vertical orientation, then you're talking a really wide, small panel. You're going to have to zoom anyway, and that that's not going to work out. Right. So I don't know if that's what he's thinking or not. But well, no, because he's been doing this for years. I mean, I think back to um, the, the first issue he did of the reboot of Electra, um, and there was a whole sequence where there were like film strip like uh, panels on the top and bottom of a two page spread with news or something. Um, talking head stuff. Yeah, he on the did bottom. that a lot in powers too. And uh, and then in the middle pages where it was um, other story bits going on. It, a little little visually overwhelming. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's you know I go back to I think it was Jim Shooter who said it. You know it, if I look at a, a page and I can't figure out, figure out what's going on, it's not my fault. Right. So 
Again, I don't think it's necessarily Oming's fault. Uh, nope. I think there may have been some things he could have done to make it clearer on those top panels. But again, I, I took a particular eye when I reread it, reread it just before the show, and he did have panels that went across the top. If you took the extra second or two to to look and see, okay, is this how it's laid out? Yeah, but again, when you have the spine going down the middle of the page, you have a natural break whether you intend it to be there or not. So you have to really go out of your way to make sure that it's clear that the action is following across that panel. Yeah, I will propose one rule. If you're going to lay something out that way, no panel should break on the page break. Every single, there should be a panel that goes across the spine all the way up and down. Yeah. It makes it a little bit clearer and... That didn't always happen. There was at least one spread in here. I forget which one where, yeah, there was a panel break on the spine and that just, it, it helps make it more difficult to read. Yep. All right, do we want to talk about Walking, Walking Dead? Dead? Let's talk about Walking right, Dead. We'll, we'll do it briefly because uh, we're already up over an hour, ten minutes. Oh, but. hey, go us. So, yeah, this is the first episode after All Out War. What's the issue number on this one? The issue number on this one is 127, A New Beginning. Yeah, so. This is now, maybe I just noticed this. has got the Skybound imprint on it in addition to Image. Well, I mean, that's Kirkman's imprint, yeah, and it, it's had that. that for a while. Okay, I just noticed it now. <laughs> yeah, but So he did an interesting thing. We're finally out of All Out War. Uh, Nagin, Negan, however you pronounce it, uh, has been Big defeated. bad dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big bad douchebag who's been, uh, I wanted to take a bullet for two years. Yes. But, um, so yeah, he made the choice on this. We're jumping two years ahead. Yep. So the community is fine. Hilltop is established. There is trade going on between the two. Everything is generally at peace. They've figured out how to herd giant herds of walkers well past the, the community. Well past the community to or keep the kingdom. Every, is the kingdom, calling it yeah. Now. Um, I don't know. It was it was a weird choice for me, and I'm not really sure how I feel about it. Uh, on one hand, the whole rebuilding of everything after the war eh, maybe that's a little boring. Maybe just wanted to skip ahead from that to lead to the next well i mean all right let's let's cut to the the real meat of this negan's still alive yeah so you know i'm just gonna start calling the crisis on infinite midlife spoiler show. (laughs) (laughs) um negan's still alive um so i wonder if kirkman didn't want to spend a lot of time arguing over well we should kill him no we shouldn't kill him which would have been the inevitable next six issues yeah, that's true, and it, it would have continued for forever, um, I suppose, by jumping two years ahead and showing that he's still alive and still in captivity means that he can jump right back into, oh, and now Negan is suddenly a threat again because he's implied two years that we didn't see. I swear before God, <laughs> if after all-out war and everything going back to 2012, 2011 with this yeah. character, if I got to start seeing him cut up ugly and be the big bad again... I'm not sure I'll drop the book because at this point I've got so much invested in it, but I am sick and tired of this fucking character, and maybe I'm in the minority. Well, here's here's the thing. They're setting it up that um, Carl is probably going to be allowed to go away to the Hilltop community to become an apprentice to a blacksmith. Um, Carl, whether his father is aware of it or not, has been having daily conversations with Negan which Negan enjoys because it helps him to break up his time and occupy his mind. So if Carl goes away and Negan doesn't have that distraction, what does he do? Yeah. 
I mean, it's a legitimate way to make Negan try to escape, cut up ugly. I just, I don't want to see him anymore. He should have taken a bullet to the fucking face in the last issue. But part of me also wonders if we didn't have a sudden two-year jump to give Kirkman an out for the TV show. Yeah. As to why Carl is constantly and suddenly older and older and older. (laughs) As he is here, he's looking very emo with his... um missing portion of his face and his yeah. stringy hair yeah, with his yeah stringy emo flip and his chunky hipster glasses <laughs> congratulations now i'm starting to hope carl fucking dies just when he was starting to get cool yeah. <laughs> but uh, in in a certain way it 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 becomes almost a semi reboot of the book let's yeah. create a new normal and find a way to fuck that up which yep. could be very interesting I would like to see Negan kept off the stage for a while. Great. We've established he's alive and he's in a hole. Give me six months where he's just in a fucking hole. Yeah. You know, if we see him once every couple issues, if somebody drops food in and he tries some mind games, fine. But keep him neutered and keep him out of the fucking way. I want to see something else. I want to see, now that they're dealing with this uh, threat of large herds, I want to see, that would seem to be the gun on the table. Okay, you yeah. have this. You have this method of of supposedly shepherding them away from the community. If that goes wrong, the herds seem large enough now that whatever defenses you have up are going to be pointless. Yeah, and we were shown the horn that attracts their attention and the methodology. It, yeah, now they now that you mention it, that's something that would be very easy to weaponize, wouldn't it? Yeah. Negan. <laughs> I don't want to see Negan fucking do I want something different. Yes. Kirkman, I know you're not listening because nobody listens to this fucking thing. But Mr. Kirkman, please. We came to room three when you had the pack of cards and thought nobody was going to come. Yeah, I'm begging it, you, man. Yeah. Please, just just put a bullet in that fucker's head before Carl goes to the hilltop. Yeah. Just, just close that off. You said in there that, that Carl still wants to kill him. Make it so. Yeah, I, I want to see something else. It's been two years with this mouthy pile of shit. Keep in mind, I'm the guy calling somebody a mouthy pile of shit. I just want something different. Yeah. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but it could lead to some interesting stories. My fear is it's going to lead to the same story with just different shit two years later. Yeah, no... And I find it interesting that he's uh, upped the profile of a couple of characters. Uh, Michonne is nowhere to be seen yet, so it's possible she's off in one of the other realms of the kingdom. But uh, Rosita suddenly has become more prominent, and she's on the TV show. Um, Eugene yep. is now more prominent. I, I like the new guy. Was it uh, Luke, who looks exactly like Luke Perry? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, nice. But... And uh, the the new possible rival for for leadership, Magna. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> it it's got potential. We're really gonna have to see how it goes. It's a bold move to say, okay, yep, we're just jumping ahead to a new normal, and we'll see how we can fuck that up. I just don't want to see it fucked up in the same way. I've seen the last two. Yep, that's the bad guy. Still, if a character named Ford Brody shows up. That will be the end of the community. That would be awesome. <laughs> Godzilla versus zombies? <laughs> All right, it's not going to get any better than that. Why don't we wrap it up for this okay. week? So 
Yes, thank you for listening to the uh, Crisis on Infinite Midlife show, episode 15. I'm holding out for ladies' footwear and murder, but do we'll... You, uh, do you run with it? We'll fight about that. you run like a small boy in a field with ladies' footwear <laughs> murder? Don't I have a bad enough <laughs> reputation without you turning this back on me? <laughs> episode 15, whatever we decide to title it. Uh, I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thanks for listening. And... I still like the scaly fist of Bukaki. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll see a doctor. <laughs>